with you again. I appreciate the fact that your pastor Josh calls me periodically and asks if I can come and share. And you know, when uh, he emailed me rather this uh, couple weeks ago, he said, we're doing the parables during the summer and that particular Sunday uh, is scheduled to be the Good Samaritan. So if you would speak on that, that would be wonderful. And I said, certainly I'd like to. And it reminded me of a, uh, an event that occurred in my life. Um, I was hiking in Maine with a surgeon. And we came upon a boy that uh, was actually a boy scout with uh, some others. And he had fallen and hit his head and was bleeding and uh, looked like he needed some stitches. And I said to uh, him and his father there, I said, hey, you locked out. This gentleman's a surgeon, a doctor. And uh, he gave me kind of a dirty look and then he worked on the kid for a while. We walked away and in no uncertain terms, he said, don't you ever do that again. He said, uh, you're safe under Good Samaritan laws, I'm not. And I didn't know there was such a thing as a Good Samaritan law. But you know that over 30 states have what are called Good Samaritan laws. And what it does, it protects you if you get involved from being sued if you mess up. <laughs> but if a professional, a doctor, a nurse gets involved and somehow messes up, they can be sued. And uh, different states have different laws about it. But do you know in Alaska, you can be sued for not getting involved. If you go past someone whose car's broken down in the middle of winter up in Alaska and they're, they're way out and they're stranded and you drive past and it's found out and they die, you're liable for that. You can be in a heap of trouble for not giving a helping hand. Well, you know, uh, if uh, a few weeks ago, uh, that came to my mind, but if just now I was told, hey, you're going to speak on the Good Samaritan, that's not what I would think of. I would think about the man, young man down at the mall in Greenfield, Indiana, that uh, saved uh, a lot of people from getting killed at a mall by shooting the, uh, the mass shooter. And he's called the Good Samaritan. A lot of people didn't like that. They said, well, there's nothing good about that. Well, if you were shopping, I think you might think a little differently about that. And then after that, I saw where uh, another gentleman uh, was driving, delivering pizzas, and saw a house on fire, went in and saved five children. They called him the Good Samaritan. And then I saw where a gentleman went into a convenience store and the lady at the counter was being robbed and he saved her life and they called him a good Samaritan. I kiddingly said to someone, you know, today, if this were be re being rewritten, it would be that a man was uh, uh, robbed along the side and beaten up and a Samaritan came along and shot the guys, the robbers. <laughs> well, that's not really what it's teaching, but like... Scripture always is. It seems that the more we study it, the deeper it goes. And I would pray that today we would study this in its context, and I think we'll see that the application might be a lot broader than what we might think. And I'm grateful that I was asked to start in Acts chapter 10, verse 25, rather than the parable itself, because if we don't understand the context in which this parable was told, I don't think we'll get the main point. And so it states that Jesus was teaching 
And in that setting, let's imagine it's like this. You're in the audience, and I'm teaching, and you want to comment on it, you stand up. You don't raise your hand, you stand up. And it starts out in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, and behold. Now, that is supposed to get your attention. It would be a lot like Jesus saying, stop, listen, and learn. Quiet. You need to learn this. Make certain you get this is what the word behold means. A lawyer stood up. Now, don't think lawyer down at the courthouse. This gentleman studied the word of God, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, studied the law of Moses, and then studied how to apply it to life. And he would give teachings on, this is how you go about this in daily life. And what's interesting, one, uh, one lawyer might teach something and another lawyer another. Much like, as I understand it, here in the Amish community, there may be a, a bishop that has certain rules and regulations, but another bishop has different rules and regulations. And they would debate this. This gentleman poured over the scriptures and then did a lot of debating on how does this apply to our daily lives so that we will be righteous, justified before God and gain eternal life. So he stands, now there's nothing wrong with this, even the word testing, it was their way of debating back and forth, but I think we're going to see that this gentleman was a little edgy. He had an agenda. He wanted to trick Jesus. It says a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And again, that's not really bad according to your motive. And uh, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you, but the last I knew of anybody inheriting something, it wasn't by doing and earning, rather it was by what? Relationship to the one who died. But in his mind, okay, I interpret the law of Moses and then I keep these rules and regulations and if I do so, I can gain eternal life. Now I commend him for being interested in such things and being interested in the scriptures, but I don't think he quite got it about the relationship. Actually, Jesus said in another passage, you pour over the scriptures because you presume that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very words that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. They missed the relationship. Judaism, religion, became a set of rules and regulations I follow to appease God and hopefully one day gain entrance into heaven. And by the way, I think that's our, our given mode of thinking. All of us, is somehow I earn this, somehow I can make it to God through my own efforts. This guy certainly felt that way. And he, Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? <laughs> How do you read it? How do you interpret it? Is what he's saying to him. Let's go back to the law of Moses. You pour over it, seeking what needs to be done to gain eternal life? You tell me. 
what you interpreted as saying, how you would apply it. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He quoted straight from the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live, you'll have eternal life, beginning in the now. You know the problem with this guy? He thought he could. Let me ask you though, if the standard is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all our soul, with our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves, does that cause you to want to think, you know, I'm going to pursue that. Do you know what it does to me? Give up. All you have to do to gain eternal life is to jump across the Grand Canyon. I know I can't. Forget it. That's what Jesus actually wanted him to think is, I can't justify myself. I can't gain this inheritance. It's going to have to be a gift. It's going to have to be grace. Because not only do I not love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, I don't love my neighbor either the way I should. Now, there's going to be a real difficulty here. You see, this gentleman quoted from the book of Leviticus is too, and Jesus even said, you don't have to memorize Ten Commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, everything else hangs. You keep those two, and you will have been keeping all the others if that love is at the core of what you do, empowered by God. Um, but in Leviticus number 19, a few verses later, listen to this. Earlier it says, um, let me see here. Um, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Well, they would interpret that. I'm to love my fellow Jew, a person of my own ethnicity, a person that worships the same God. But they didn't like a little bit later and didn't talk much about this. When a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him any wrong. You shall treat the neighbor who sojourns with you as the native born amongst you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt, and I'm the Lord your God. Hey, don't you remember that you were the outcast? Don't you remember that you were in Egypt as slaves? I took you out of there, and you were treated so poorly because you were Jews, Hebrews. Don't go do that to other people that are made in the image of God, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their religion. Wow, we draw lines, don't we? Jesus went so far as to say, love your enemy. <laughs> Heap coals on their heads. Well, this guy, uh, he's in a dilemma now. Jesus said, you answered correctly, but maybe you didn't interpret it correctly. You know, we have a tendency to want to interpret scripture in a way that will 
work to our advantage. I heard of a guy that uh, kept swimming in a farmer's pond and there was a sign right there that said private, no swimming. And finally the farmer had it and took him to court. He stand before court, had a picture of him swimming right in front of the sign. And um, so the judge said, how do you plead? He said, not, not guilty. He said, not guilty? Look, look at the picture here. That's you swimming right in front of the sign that says private, no swimming. Now, how do you plead now? He said, not guilty. How could you? He goes, well, you're reading the, song, the, the sign wrong. You're mis misinterpreting the sign. He said, well, how do you interpret it? He said, private? No, swimming. <laughs> Come on in, you know. Well, it's according to how we read it. This gentleman was trying to do that, fudging a little bit on his interpretation of it. And it says, but he, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, just exactly who is my neighbor? <laughs> he wanted to um, make certain that he was loving his fellow Jews, same religion, same ethnicity, but certainly not others. Certainly not a Samaritan. Remember Jesus, when he was ridiculed, he said, you're demon-possessed. You're, you're a Samaritan. Who are the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans, it's an area in Israel, but it's an area where earlier the Assyrians had taken them into captivity and then intermingled them with their own, brought them back. They were half-breeds and they had a halfway Judaism religion, worshiped on a different mountain, different area, and they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which means they would also believe, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But they were looked down upon, you know that, even the disciples, when they wanted to go through Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't let them through, James and John, sons of thunder, said, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them all up like Elijah did in the Old Testament? They wanted that. He goes, you don't understand why I'm here. I came to save men's lives, not to destroy them. And then Jesus healed 10 lepers and he said, and one of them came back and said thanks. And you know who he was? A Samaritan. And then, of course, we know the story of the woman at the well. I must needs go through Samaria because he had a woman he's going to meet. The disciples were shocked. He was talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan. And a great revival broke out in Samaria. And then in the book of Acts, take this gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth, and then Philip brought great revival in Samaria. So Jesus said, I love those Samaritans. And now he's going to do something, and it's called the rule of three. It's very popular in our culture. It's the way to tell a story. You always have three characters, and we always hear it all the time. You know, we hear like, uh, all right, there was a Catholic priest, a Baptist minister, and then a, a plain old layman or... Maybe they'd even say in a non-religious person. And who becomes the hero? The totally non-religious person and the, the priest and the Baptist minister are the ones who, who mess up. Well, that's a very common way of teaching and it was very, very common in Jesus' day for teachers to say it's called the rule of three. Okay, got three guys. And 
Jesus is telling a story, and it was very common to have, okay, there was a priest, and there was a Levite, that'd be like a deacon today, and then there was a shepherd, a guy who didn't even go to services, and the shepherd turns out being the hero of the story. And it was a great way to kind of cut on the priest and the Levites and their hypocrisy. And that's what this man, lawyer, would have expected when Jesus starts this story. Jesus is a great storyteller. Jesus replied, well, there was a, a man that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And by the way, you always go down from Jerusalem, no matter which way you go because of elevation. But the road to Jericho was called the Bloody Way because of all the crime that happened. It's a very, it's out in the, in the middle of nowhere through the desert with rock formations and, and uh, caves there where the robbers uh, hide out. By, by the way, yet today, if you go over there, you don't want to walk that today. You better go on a tour bus out in that area. There was a man that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 mile trip, and it's downhill. It starts at 2,700 feet elevation and goes to 800 feet below sea level. So you're going down and you don't go alone because it's dangerous out there. But there was a, a man, a human being. You notice Jesus doesn't say a, a Jew, a Gentile, a Samaritan, an Egyptian. He said it was a man. A human being of tremendous worth, made in the image of God. It doesn't matter what color his skin is or what his religion is in the story. Because he's a human being, he means a whole lot to God. And he fell amongst robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed leaving him half dead. Now it says that they departed, but how would you know that they departed? You're coming down, and by the way, it's not very wide. You can't get too far away. And um, there were some people who weren't very neighborly. They weren't good Samaritans. They robbed the guy, beat him up, left him half dead. But how do you know if a person that's half dead isn't dead unless you get real close? And what if you're a priest who if you, according to the Torah, the book of Numbers, if you touch a dead body, now you're defiled, polluted, you got to go back and go through ritual cleansing. It's a big hassle. Well, Jesus brings that up. He said he fell amongst robbers and they uh, left him half dead. Now, by chance, I love the fact that Jesus said that. Jesus didn't believe in chance, but he's telling a story. He said, now, just by chance, a priest was going down the road, and everybody in the audience would have said, yeah, we know where this story's going. And when he saw him, he did see him, he passed by on the other side. Now, you're out in the audience. I think some people think, well, good for him. Uh... You don't want to get involved. It's dangerous out there. How do you know the robbers are gone? How do you know they're not going to rob you? You could get hurt yourself. And besides, this priest would be defiled if he touched the guy and the guy was dead. Just common sense. After all, Proverbs 26, verse 7 says this. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his own is like one who grabs 
a dog by the ears. You buy a, if you grab a dog by the ears, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get bit. So just don't get involved in a quarrel that's not your own. You could use that, interpret it, hey, I shouldn't go over there and get involved, you know. Uh, it's none of my business. I'm going to walk by on the other side. Just stay out of the mess. You know, when I was a youth pastor in Akron, Ohio, uh, the senior pastor and I were going into a restaurant in, in an alley just beforehand. There were two bums beating the tar out of each other. And I looked at the senior pastor. I said, let's, let's, go, let's go deal with this. He said, Craig, go in the restaurant. We got in there and he said, Craig, one time I did that in Chicago. I walked in an alley and I had a knife put in my belly. Don't get involved in stuff like that. <laughs> I think that's kind of a wise thing to say, right? I remember one time I was, uh, when I hiked that Appalachian Trail up in New Hampshire, uh, every week or so you'd hitchhike into a town to get some food. So I went out. Stuck my thumb out, and this girl stopped. She must have been 16 years old, just got her license. She stopped for me. Man, I've been living in the woods for about four months. And uh, I threw my pack in and got in and told her I was going to North Manchester, I think. And I said, you always pick up hitchhikers like this? She said, yeah, if we live by here, we know, we know who you are, what all you're doing. You know, you're through hikers. I said, you don't worry about it? She said, no. Nah. When I got out of the car, I said to her, I said, first of all, I want to talk to you like a hiker. Thank you so much for picking me up. And now I'm going to talk to you like my, you're my daughter. Don't you ever pick a guy like me up again. You're going to get yourself killed, girl. She just laughed, you know. There is a sense in which you got to be smart, but Jesus is making a different point here. Um, and then he says, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Well, who's a Levite? Well, he's of the tribe of Levi. They were born into the, uh, the, the uh, they worked in the temple with services. They assisted the priest with such things as cleaning up all the blood from the animals and taking care of the buildings and so forth. They were like what we might call deacons today. So it's, we could say, okay, there was a preacher and a deacon going down the road, and they both got Fs. Maybe A for being wise, but not for any compassion, they got an F. And now, this would, we can't even imagine what this would have done to the audience. They would have expected, okay, a priest, a Levite, and then a common, everyday, non-religious Jew helped the guy out. And they'd say, yeah, and, but they would have never expected this. But a Samaritan, they, they, it would have been, he's bringing a Samaritan into this story? It's probably Samaritans that robbed the guy. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, what would you expect? He went over and made certain the guy was dead. <laughs> He, he uh, saw if they didn't get anything that he could get. No, it says he had compassion. Do you know the word compassion? It, it's a word that it means his, his guts moved. His heart went out is what we say. You know the feeling. His, his heart went out for the guy. He, he had mercy. He had pity on the guy. 
He saw it and he had compassion, but that's not enough. You know, a lot of people, boy, I have some, I just hurt for people. Well, do you get involved? Well, you know, how do I know I wouldn't get hurt? <laughs> I don't have time. Look at what this guy did. He went to him. He didn't pass by on the other side. It affected his feet. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It affected his hands, his pocketbook, his time, his talents. Touched the guy. And then he set him on his own animal, and he walked, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. <laughs> Healed all his wounds best he could. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Man, this guy went over the top. I think Jesus was looking at this lawyer saying, is that the way you act? <laughs> Do you love your neighbor like that? Well, first of all, you think that's not my neighbor. Well, I don't know if he's my neighbor, but the Samaritan cannot be the hero here. You can't make a Samaritan out to be the hero, but he does. And he got totally involved. His time, his talents, his treasures, um, the possibility of being harmed himself. Two denarii, a denarii is a day's wages, so just take two days of whatever your wages are and you give it to the innkeeper and say, I'm going to be coming back here another time and whatever you spend, I'll pay it. And um, the guy had open eyes, but he also had an open heart, he had open hands, he had an open wallet, he had an open calendar or day timer. He just didn't talk it, he walked it. Where the priest, who was an expert in the law, or rather the lawyer, they loved to debate various rules and regulations. Strain out gnats and swallow camels, as Jesus said. And then Jesus, imagine again, this is public. This guy's standing up. There's a crowd around. And Jesus said, now, which of these three do you think proved, proved, just didn't talk about it, to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one of them lived it out, proved it, just didn't talk, got involved, got his hands dirty, went the extra mile, really was a good Samaritan to the man who, the human being who fell amongst the robbers. You know, all around us every day, people are falling among, maybe not being robbed, being harmed, they are in need and they need somebody with some compassionate eyes. They need somebody that will not always play it safe. Let me ask you this. Name one place where Jesus told his disciples, whatever you do, stay safe. <laughs> I think I shared with you before, I have a brother, he's a pretty wild, crazy guy. Whenever we end a conversation, he'll say, Craig, stay dangerous. Stay dangerous for God. Sometimes we need to be a little dangerous. Stretch a little bit to those that are in need. 
People are falling amongst all kinds of things and they need somebody with a compassionate heart. And he said, now remember, this is right out in public in a classroom. This guy stood up, he, he raised the issue. Jesus has nailed him. Jesus said, now which three was a neighbor? It wasn't who is my neighbor, who's being neighborly? And he said, and I think he said it reluctantly and then sat down, uh, the one who showed mercy. Did you notice he didn't say the Samaritan? He wouldn't even name it. Um, uh, the one who showed mercy, the one with pity, the one that is compassionate and did something about it. And Jesus said to him, I like this. He said, you go do likewise. And then it sat down. It was over with. Jesus won that debate. You go, and as you live, live your life, learn the lesson and you do likewise. You know, James, in James 1.27, it says this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Not bunches of rules and regulations. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their need, in their troubles, in their distress. Yeah, but if I go visit an orphan or a widow, they're going to have needs and they'll probably ask me for something, you know? Yeah. Well, here's another one. Well, you know, in my position as a priest, I can't go around to widows. What would people think? <laughs> People might be suspect. Again, self-protection all the time as an excuse, I think, for closing our eyes, closing our hearts, not getting involved. And, and this is the rest of that verse. How do you do this? Pure religion, if you want to be religious before, and by the way, I think Religion can be detrimental to your spiritual health, <laughs> particularly professional religion. It all becomes rules and regulations. It's not an inheritance. Trying to justify yourself before God, which is very self-centered as well. Pure religion before God the Father is to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Well, which is it? It's both. There's a time for wisdom, I assume, but I think we play it all too safe. Let me tell you a place in scripture where this was lived out that I think is wonderful. Remember when the Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome, there was a shipwreck in Acts 27, and 276 people got washed up to shore on a place called Malta, on a cold and rainy night? Listen to this. This is Acts 28. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Wait, these are criminals on the way to Rome. They didn't play it safe. They said, these guys are freezing to death. Let's build a big bonfire. And then later it says, there was an estate nearby. The chief official of the island lived there. He welcomed us into his home. For three days, he entertained us hospitably. <laughs> 
to just these washed up criminals on the way to Rome. And they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. My goodness, we don't even know what religion these people from Malta were. But they were sure good Samaritans. Listen to this good Samaritan out of 2 Timothy. Paul, at the end of his life, writes to, second, to 2 Timothy, and he said, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. This is a big city. Lots of prisons. Hey, do you know where the Apostle Paul is? Do you know where the Apostle... He searched really hard till he found me. And then he came and visited me, which was a danger to himself. You hang out with the Apostle Paul, you end up in jail with him. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. There comes a, a day that's the last day. And you know very well in how many ways he helped me when he was in Ephesus. Huh. That's amazing. The biggest lesson, the number one lesson of the Good Samaritan is not a moralistic teaching on caring for other people. The number one lesson is you cannot justify yourself. You will not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself unless you have Jesus Christ come in and justify you. But when he does, he gives you a new heart, it says. He gives you new eyes and something happens. You have eyes for people in need that you didn't have before. You want to get involved. You're, you don't play it so safe. True Christianity, those who are justified before God are going to get involved like Jesus did in the Good Samaritan because you see, we all were going down the road of life and we got robbed by the evil one, Satan, to destroy us. But along comes Jesus and what does Jesus do? He comes to our aid. He cleanses us. He fills us. He brings healing to our hearts. Don't you imagine whoever that man was that got robbed after all that was done? He started to have new eyes for people too if he didn't already have them. You know, blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. And that blessed are those who receive mercy because they're going to be merciful. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, it was interesting, right after uh, Joshua had asked if I would teach this, my mind was on it, I uh, got a call from someone that uh, lives in Texas that was coming to South Bend, used to live in South Bend, to visit someone over a weekend, coming in on a Thursday night at, at Midway Airport, going out on Monday, and uh, called, thought maybe they'd see us. And um, as I got talked to them, they said, man, alive, is it gonna cost me to get a, a car from Midway for that few days in South Bend and, uh, and get there? Because they have to rent a car at the airport. I was thinking about this and I said, you know what, I'll come and get you and I'll take you back to the airport. Go over on Thursday, come back on, go back on Monday. I hate driving through Chicago traffic. But I thought, I'll, I'll do that. I'm going to be a good Samaritan here. And then I said, I tell you what, too. Um, I have a, a car you can use, a 
2000 Honda. You can drive it around um, town and use my car. So, oh, that's, that's too much. No, it's not, I want to do it. Where are you staying? Didn't have, I said, stay at our house. Won't cost you anything, you know? And so I did this for a friend. <laughs> Drove this person back to the airport, got in my car, and you know, I felt pretty good about myself. I did, this person said to me, wow, you went over the top. I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, I did. <laughs> I'm driving back feeling pretty good about myself. And that's right, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And there is a great blessing when you know you've done something and even stretched for a person. I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then the Lord said to me, Craig, I don't think you understand that parable. You see, you did it for a friend. <laughs> You're supposed to do it for your enemies. Oh man, uh, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> but in my better moments, uh, I am. Because I realize they're all human beings, aren't they? Made in the image of God, and they're blind like I was blind. They've been robbed by the evil one. They've been left for dead. And they need somebody, even our enemies, to come along and win us over. And that's the only way you're going to win over an enemy is to see him, have compassion, get your hands dirty, get your feet involved, get your pocketbook involved. And that is stretching it, not to justify ourselves, but because we are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.